listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Liz. Welcome back, friend. We had to take a little sick person break there for a minute. What an exciting time for everybody. And you know what? I'm not going to linger on it because nope. you know if you know what's going on. You know what's going it's exciting. on. Just move along. Yeah. Just keep going. Just move along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a new patron to thank. I would love to thank our new patron. Let's thank Melissa. Hey, thanks, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. One thing that we are going to do in this exciting time is I'm hoping to release some of the older patron stuff and maybe release a little bit of extra stuff for the patrons. So to make sure the patrons are still getting extra juice, but also make sure that we, once we are back in production, are getting you maybe a little extra Mm -hmm. good vibes to listen to. So I hope you brought me a good vibe story today. Oh, girl, it is a roller coaster of vibes. It is okay. definitely time for another badass broad of the Pacific Northwest, wouldn't you agree? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always that time. Liz, today I'm going to tell you the story of Helga Estby. And Helga is a woman who in 1896 walked the almost 3,500 miles between Spokane, Washington, and New York City in an effort to save her Micah Creek farm. So you've heard of Helga. Yes. 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 And I basically know what you said plus, like, maybe one thing I'm not real sure about. So this is a wonderful spot to be where I'm excited because I have been wanting to know more about this story. But I am not like, oh, Devin, let me talk over you. You'll find a way. I mean, I will talk over you. absolutely will. But it's not the energy that I immediately clicked into. It's not going to be on topic, I guess, is my point. That's absolutely fair. All of your words are valid and beautiful, and I love them forever. And you are really going to like Helga, I believe. I quite liked Helga. I came across her because of the 2003 book Bold Spirit by Linda Lawrence Hunt. And it chronicles Helga's life, Helga's family life, her move from the Midwest to Spokane and Micah Creek, and the wager that led Helga and her 17-year-old daughter, Clara, to walk across the United States. Wow. If I have a critique of the book before I get into Helga's story, if I have a critique of the book itself, it's that much of it is conjecture on the part of the author. And that's Hmm. not Linda Hunt's fault because assumption was necessary in telling this story. It's from over a hundred years ago. There are dozens of surviving newspaper clippings that you can still find on the web, but all of the first person accounts. So all of Helga's letters Clara's letters and the diary that they kept and then the manuscript that Helga wrote later in her life were burned by some of Helga's children after Helga's death because they were so ashamed of the walk that their mother and oldest sister took. Helga was born in 1860 in what's now called Oslo, Norway. And moved with her mother to America in 1871, and that's where they joined Helga's stepfather in Michigan, where he was working for a a lumber town. Like I had said in a bunch of past episodes, and I, I only know this because of my work in museums, the Pacific Northwest 
was a huge hotspot for Norwegian immigrants before the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest. The hotspot for Norwegian and Nordic immigrants was that kind of like Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin area of the country. When she was 15 years old, as the author puts it, Helga discovered that she was pregnant. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pot roast. What's happening? I made a discovery today. A discovery. <laughs> Quite the scientist, aren't I? <laughs> well, oh. she, I guess that's better than like she fell pregnant or something like that. She, she, she became pregnant. She became, uh, suddenly she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. We don't know who the biological father was and th- that's totally been lost to history. But what the family's solution was that they married uh, 16-year-old, now Helga, to 28-year-old Norwegian lumberman and carpenter, Ole Estby. The 16-year-old part, I'm not a big fan of. <laughs> I am not a big fan of the 16-year-old part either. However, they get married and over the next 20 years proceed to have like 10 more kids. As far as Clara knew, the daughter who was born shortly after their their marriage, Ole was always her father. She didn't find out until he mm-hmm. she was an adult that he was not her biological father. But he, for all intents and purposes, raised her as he did the other children. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I said, over the next 20 years, they have like 10 more kids, which means from the age of 16 to the age of 35, Helga is either always pregnant or nursing a child. She is just banging out babies. Not the only thing she's banging. <laughs> Your mom. I like my cigar too, yeah. but I take it out of my mouth sometimes. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting that. I was not expecting that, and I should have. I should have known you were going to mm-hmm. go straight for vaudeville. Did you did you waggle your eyebrows when you said it? I, <laughs> I, want, I want you to have waggled them. Yes. Mm-hmm. For the too f- many babies. Too many babies, and she was having too many babies while they were carving out a farmstead in the harsh-as-heck plains between Minnesota and North Dakota. Like, Well, that makes sense, then, because she's basically, like, the, the recruitment director. She, she's HR. Ex- she's yeah. saying, we got a farm. We are got to staff this. Yeah, counting on you, Helga, to increase the town population. It has gone from two... Since you, well, three, I guess, because you, you moved here with the baby. To we, keep going, we we want a baseball yeah. team, and the only way we're going to do it is if you keep making us, you know, infielders. Dude, the planes though, the planes sound like they suck, and I think they suck by today's standards. A hundred and however many years ago, twenty years ago, they had to have sucked like. You see nothing but planes in every direction. Mm-hmm. There are no trees. The only good thing about seeing four miles in every direction is that when the giant firestorms that blow up on the prairie come toward you, you have days with which to panic before they overtake you and, you know, burn down your farm and your livestock and your crops and your family and whatever. When they moved, they made a mud house, like, a house out of mud, like a cob house, but not even as cool because it was just straight up mud. And so not only did it turn into squishy mud when it rained, Mm -hmm. and not only did bugs just hang out in the ceiling and then fall onto the inhabitants at all hours, in the summer, snakes and prairie dogs just burrowed straight up through the ground into the house. Yeah, why the hell not? I would do it if I had to 
you know, pop up somewhere like possibly Firestorm, North Dakota, or pop up somewhere this dude's kitchen. I'm going to go to this dude's kitchen. Mm-hmm. You've got, like, grasshoppers that mass eat all the crops, and then the winters mm. are basically Siberia. <laughs> so you're doing that, and you're, you know, you got one baby on your titty, you got another baby in your belly, you got three kids on the floor behind you. Mm-hmm. And the only thing to play with, a scythe. Between 1877 and 1885, not only is Helga keeping house and she's helping with the crops and she's tending the livestock and she's making her own candles and kerosene and sewing the family's clothes and doing all the cooking, she has five more kids. So we've got... How many kids are we up to? We're at six now. Okay. Six kids total. Uh, six, six kids total, five kids living because their first son, also named Ole, dies at birth. Okay, yeah. So, but we're still doing pretty good. You know, we've got five live children from six births, which is Mm -hmm. a great average for the time. In 1885, there is this devastating tornado, which causes an even more devastating fire in the nearby town. And Helga goes, you know what, Ole, that's it. I'm out. Tap. I don't want to live out in heckin' nowhere. I want you to take me to some place that's a little more cosmopolitan, where we're not worried about grasshoppers eating our food, where I don't have to watch tornadoes made out of fire come sweeping down the plane. Take me somewhere better. And they get a flyer, you know, in town that says that the Spokane and Idaho Railroad will pay carpenters three fifty cash a day to work on the railroad. And they go, you know what? We're doing it. We're packing up the family. We're moving to Spokane, Washington. Okay, interesting. Pretty cool. They come to our hometown. And Mm -hmm. when they get there, one of the first things they do is purchase three downtown lots. And Helga puts on the the census form that she's a farmer. And so we're not really sure what they were going to do with those lots. Were they going to develop them for... For farming, or were they going to build properties on them and lease them out? We don't really know, because before they even have a chance to do it, Helga trips late one night in downtown Spokane over some construction that's on the pavement. And yeah, the bunch of dynamite and no streetlights. <laughs> We've painted the picture. <laughs> You've set the she scene. on dynamite. She absolutely, and probably did that like log roll thing, you know, where you're, mm-hmm. you're cartoon. <laughs> yeah, thank the bongos. you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, she did that and she like cracks the heck out of her whole pelvis. Oh. And what most women of the day likely would have done was had their pelvis cracked, been kind of convalescent, called it the end. Because especially Norwegian women, I mean, Nordic people are famous for being closed-mouthed. You know, they you don't complain. And Victorian women, you had your name three times in the newspaper, Liz. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when you were born, when you were married, when you died. And oh, yeah. you didn't make a fuss. Wait, I do want to call out this specifically. That is something that you and I both believe is a really common thing that's appeared in, like, multiple forms of media. Try. Try to figure out where the fuck we got that. Because Google will let you down. Oh, will it? Will it? <laughs> yeah. Where did we try get it, that try from? Right now. Try to tell you where we got that a woman's name appears three oh it's got it, it's making me think about high school so there's got to have been some book we both read 
and Anne of Green Gables. Keep trying, you know, like little, yeah. little women. Uh, you just Seriously, you, it's you, not it's not a little women. It, it, like I I don't know, dude, but uh, we we definitely both think it's like a very very common saying, yes. and I've never heard anybody but us say Seriously? it. Seriously, where did we get this from? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, no, I've heard it. I've heard it. It's in To Kill a Mockingbird, or maybe it isn't To Kill a Mockingbird. <gasps> it could be. That sounds familiar. Okay, I'll go get my copy mm-hmm. after we stop recording, and I yeah, will let you know. Yeah, find that out. Like, I'm not saying we made it up out of whole cloth. <laughs> it's just one of those things that, like, when I was growing up, I thought that for someplace to be really busy, and you called it land office business, was, like, an idiom that everybody knew. And it's not. It's a very strange 19th century, like, land rush thing that my mom says. Oh, my goodness. And so... <laughs> I'm like, oh, land office business over here. Oh my goodness! What are you talking about what? <laughs> what? Land, land office business. Land, yeah, land, land office. Bu- well, it's like, let's see. There's so many weird, specific sayings in my family, but a lot of them are cowboy related. So mm-hmm. I think all hat and no cattle describes people perfectly, and not everyone would know that as a common saying. <laughs> It tells a story. Right it does there. tell a story. Right. So, Speaking of telling stories, please continue. Helga decided to sue the city for her fall and mm. very publicly talked about it and the resulting ailments. And what was even more unusual, not only was that she was being public about, hey, city, you did a bad thing and going up against, you know, an entirely male jury, going against mm-hmm. uh, a male judge, going against the male experts and witnesses. And um, she's an immigrant. She's an and, immigrant, yeah. yes, married to a man who only speaks Norwegian, old, does not speak wow. any English. She is very willing to, in her deposition, talk about the problems this has caused <gasps> her, which... For her, in her lady department? In her lady department. She specifically says she has problems with her pelvis, that there is soreness in her womb, that there was injury to her legs, that she suffered from abdominal sickness. Whoa. It would have been, I'm sure, just, like, lascivious to hear a well-bred, well-born woman talk about these lady parts in such a manner to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, an all-male courtroom. But it was great that she did, because even though the trial resulted in a hung jury the first time upon appeal, they ruled in her favor. And with that money, she was able to get surgery that ended up correcting the problems that she had. What year is this? Uh, This is 1888. Oh, what an interesting year for Spokane. That's an interesting year for Spokane because of the fire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was the fire that made her go, what the heck, Spokane, your downtown scares the crumb out of me. I am taking the family and we are going to go over to Micah Creek, which is near Rockford. And we're going to buy some land. And I want this like pastoral bucolic life I used to have back, but with fewer gophers. And, and firestorms. Fewer firestorms. The problem with this poor family is timing because my go- yeah it was what it was what year now it's eighteen ninety two it yeah it takes from eighteen eighty eight to eighteen ninety two for them to save up money to go over to purchase land in Micah Creek it's eighteen ninety two which of course means that they've only got a year on their beautiful i 
idyllic farmland before the panic of 1893 mm-hmm. hits. The same thing that wiped Ezra out, right? Yeah, and it just devastated them. Already they were living paycheck to paycheck already. They were living in quite a bit of debt, but the price of wheat crashed, so they couldn't sell the crop that they did have for very much. And then what was left in the field by all farmers ended up getting mold by some unseasonably wet weather. And so that was ruined. Ole was in a horse accident, and so that left him unable to do any heavy lifting And nobody had any money to pay him for carpentry work anyway, so he's not able to make money. They end up borrowing $1,000 against their mortgage just to make ends meet. And now we're creeping into 1894 with that $1,000 debt hanging over their head and the Mm. sheriff threatening to sell them at auction. The family is pretty dire right now. They are... Definitely not sure how they're going to save their farm, if they're going to save their farm. And if they can't save their farm, what do they do? They'll be homeless. They'll be destitute. All can't work. Uh, they've got 10 kids to feed now and n- no family in the area. There's there's really nowhere for them to turn. But they have an interesting stroke of luck. This is... Finally. This is... Yeah. I said interesting. Not good, but interesting. Oh. You didn't say good luck. I just assumed. <laughs> it's it's an interesting stroke of luck. This is where we get to the wager. And it's difficult, again, because we're dealing with newspapers from 120 years ago, and the author herself isn't able to untangle from all these newspaper articles details. But what it is, is that in 1896, a wealthy woman, as the newspaper articles called her, proposed to pay Helga and her oldest daughter, Clara, $10,000 if they could walk unescorted across America, meeting certain stipulations. That sounds like a hackneyed movie concept. A hackneyed premise, you say. Mm -hmm. uh, So... It sounds like something Donald Duck has to do. <laughs> it, does. I, it, it just this doesn't add up to anything. It, so by offered means like this person specifically reached out to those two, or they like put a thing in the paper to be weird, like Forrest Fenn. Yep. What I originally thought it was was exactly that, that it was a weird thing in the newspaper, much like Forrest Fenn just saying, aha, do I have any challengers? I'll pay you $10,000 if you can do this, ladies. And that's not accurate, according to the book. What it sounds like is for some reason and somehow... A wealthy woman or Eastern parties, the newspapers alternately called the person who set the wager by these two different, like, names, they reached out to Helga directly through a Spokane contact, so through another wealthy person in Spokane, and said, hey, I've heard about you, and I will give you personally $10,000 if you do this. I'm so confused. It's so frustrating. It is one of the questions I will ask God when I get to heaven after my death, which is, okay. 
who who are the people on the East Coast that are paying this? Why are they paying this? To what end are they paying this? Why did they pick Helga? How do they even know who Helga is? What? You'll have to just bear with being really frustrated because I don't shine any further light on this and neither does the author if you read the book. Okay, I mean, you can only work with what you can work with yeah. at a certain point. If you're speculating, you're actually misleading people by giving them a story yes. that hangs together. Yes, I'm... My... Okay, and I think you and I will make some educated guesses based on the stipulations this... We'll keep calling her the wealthy woman, because that's easier for me to remember. Mm-hmm. One of the stipulations is that once Helga and Clara get to Salt Lake City they will get bicycling costumes and wear those for the rest <laughs> of their journey. Now yes. I'm in. Now Quit you're digging, into it. You hit gold. Yes. Bicycling costumes. Thought you might like it. So this is of course all happening during the suffragette movement and in New York and in Paris a bicycling costume is becoming very acceptable for respectable ladies to wear. A bicycling costume is usually made of a lightweight gray wool and it consists of a a dress with a skirt and the skirt hits between the knee and the ankle. So you show quite a bit of boot ladies as well Don't as you some leggings. Wear bloomers, though? You wear leggings with this. Okay. They aren't the the puffy pantalettes that I think of as bloomers. They're more mm-hmm. of a tight fitting legging. Okay. And you've got this little this cute little jacket that matches it. And I love this. I want this. It just the photos of Clara and Helga in this costume, they look so cool. They look so neat. I love it. So because all of this is happening at the time of the suffragette movement, this bicycling costume was just displayed at the World's Fair in 1893, and it's in the Montgomery Ward catalogs, so, like, you could buy it anywhere in the world, but like I said, no one outside of, like, New York in America Mm -hmm. is wearing it. So here's my thought. I think it's a marketing thing. I think it's, I think it's (gasps) PR, you know, I think that there's some company in wherever the East Coast who probably heard about Helga through, I mean, not only was she... But heard what about Helga? Well, I would imagine heard that she was willing to go against societal norms. You know, she was already willing to stand up in court and talk about her lady parts. She had experimental surgery by a female surgeon in Spokane to fix her pelvis there was a female surgeon in Spokane. I know. Hold some phones, please. Uh-huh. Sounds very interesting. Okay. And then Helga knew some wealthy women in Spokane because she and her daughters did a lot of cleaning to make money on the side at these wealthy homes. So I can hmm. put together a story that's plausible enough for me to be like, okay, okay, it's some marketing PR thing. They needed someone, and somehow this weird transcontinental game of telephone ended up calling Helga, and cool. How else were you going to get a woman desperate enough, but also a woman that you knew was healthy and strong enough, but also a woman who was willing to kind of go against, I guess, patriarchal norms of the time to do this thing? They were like, do you want to be on a reality show? Basically. In 1893. Do you want to participate in Naked and Afraid 1893 edition? It re- she must have felt naked. 
showing, like I said, a lot of ankle. There was some shin action. And it's it's just called a bicycling costume. It's They didn't actually give her a bicycle. They did not give her a bicycle. It's called a bicycling costume because this outfit would have made it much easier for women to ride. They weren't hampered by yards and yards of material mm-hmm. around their, their legs, around their feet. But they weren't allowed to ride a bicycle. No, the stipulations were that the women had to walk. And they were going to walk from the newspaper office in Spokane all the way to the newspaper office in New York. Specifically, New York City's uh, The World Chronicle, The World the World Tribune. But from which one in Spokane? They were going from The Chronicle in Spokane. Oh, okay. From The Chronicle from Building. The Chronicle Building is right. Still stands to It still that. does, yeah. I, I didn't think Helga lived in Spokane anymore, though. Nope. Nope, she was living in Micah Creek, but she was still going to have to walk from Spokane. I don't think Micah Creek was big enough to have, like, its own newspaper at the time, dude. Sure. I I mean, Spokane at that time was known as, you know, we were the Inland Empire. Like, we were Mm -hmm. the place to be on this side of the Cascades. So the women had to walk the whole way. They could not take the train. If someone offered them a ride, you know, like a horse and buggy, they could take it. But they couldn't take it the whole way. They couldn't beg for a ride. In fact, they couldn't beg for anything. They couldn't ask for a free night stay. They couldn't ask for a free meal on the road. If someone offered, they were allowed to accept. But otherwise, they could each have $5 cash that they left home with. And for any other money they needed to pay for lodging, to pay for food, to pay for their clothes, they had to work along the way to make that money. They all- this is so strange, dude. This is just, <laughs> this is a really, really strange set of rules and stipulations. Yeah. This feels like a would you rather game that got out of hand. And then somebody was like, no, we're not, we're not doing it hypothetically. We're actually going to explain it. <laughs> we're actually going to. We're going to set rules and we're going to see if somebody could do it. And again, I'm getting caught up in the whole Helga and what's the daughter's name? Clara. This sounds like two women did it. Two women did it. Okay, because the the whole thing has always been pitched as Helga did it. Helga did it, but her 17-year-old daughter, Clara, was with her every arduous step of the way. So So why doesn't Clara get credit? Yeah, well, Helga's the mom. Helga's the adult. Okay. I don't know why. But it is called Helga's Forgotten Walk in the book. I don't know. Because it's... You're just making shit. Yeah, whatever. Um, you haven't let me tell you the two other stipulations. Because we're not done with the oh, rules. Okay. The, oh, they also have to complete their journey within seven months. And they have to check in at state offices along their journey to get a paper signed by government officials. Like mayors and governors and stuff like that. To, like, prove... That they they went through all these towns and actually did so the journey. So they're not even going to monitor it, really. This is them. This eastern interest. The eastern interests are are monitoring by you know how many signatures did you get, whose signatures did you get, and then the women are being written about in the newspapers as they walk. Okay, that is something, but I'm just like. That's is this is a lot of detail about you know well you can take the meal if they offer it but not I'm like who's gonna say who's gonna say you're not gonna know you're not gonna know yeah. but 
Helga is a woman of fortitude and Clara is a woman of fortitude and they both have values, Liz, and they said they're going to do it in a certain way and by golly, by gosh, they're going to do it in this way. Okay. So, I don't have the answer to all the questions that you and I both have and neither did Clara and Helga. As far as we know, they don't know who the wealthy woman is they don't know who these foreign parties are they just were put in touch with their spokane with these people by their spokane contact and said okay we'll do it we'll sign the contract get it to us this is so strange that i feel like if somebody made me a similar offer even in her position I would refuse because it was so hinky that I would assume the answer was worse than I could imagine. That feels like the kind of situation where you agree to it, and then, like, three weeks in when they're murdering you, you're like, oh, yeah, that does explain that. Right? Okay. right? That was the piece I was missing. They were going to murder me the whole time. Oh, oh now like, right I now I'm just it. speculating that it's, like, the city of Spokane trying to set up some sort of incontrovertible evidence that she wasn't hurt that badly. <laughs> by tripping. No, good Dude, you got... Could a pelvically broken woman do this? You got it dark with it. I'm doing this like it's the ghost of Atchison Kutcher before he's born <laughs> and he's like punking her and the entire nation. The nation first hears about this whole harebrained scheme on April 26, 1896 when the New York World newspaper runs their Women of the Week column and they print a formal portrait of the mother and daughter and they describe the wager and they say that there's this wealthy woman who's willing to pay and yada yada, here's what they've got to do and that the women, quote, they intend to write up their adventure afterwards if... They survive the experiment. Dot, dot, dot. So this is how the world is hearing that these two women are going to walk from Spokane to New York City to try to win $10,000. And it's not just that they have to walk 3,500 miles. It's that they have to walk 35 miles without becoming lost without succumbing to blistering heat and freezing snow. There's no interstate system. There's no interstate system. Nope. (laughs) Nope. There is nothing between them and, like, Iowa, but a bunch of little Mm -hmm. frontier towns. I mean, Spokane and Salt Lake City, those are, are big cities. But it's full of railroad tracks and bears and Mm -hmm. transients. There are a lot of people riding the rails in those days. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that repeatedly gets brought up by naysayers and just in general folks in the community saying two women alone are going to do this are you sure you want to do this when you know you could be robbed when you know you could be murdered when you know that you could die from dehydration or heat stroke or any number of terrible things, not to mention it's just not done. It is just not proper for a a woman who, by the way, had her last kid like two years ago, so is a toddler. <laughs> How dare you leave your babies at home with their father? That's not at all what you do. That a woman does it is not a problem. That whoever 
this shady person is seems to prefer that gives me concerns. They prefer a woman to do this because they say their aim is to prove that women can. That women can do anything that men can do. And that women... Has anybody proven that men can do this? <laughs> Why are we jumping over a bar nobody's set up yet? <laughs> Ladies, come on. Conserve your energy. <laughs> the highest that guy jumped was like six feet, so you just gotta do six one. <laughs> I mean... Good point. Fair point, dude. I'll give you that one. Sacagawea's <laughs> gonna already have done it with a baby <laughs> on her back. Did it. Like, like, <laughs> 90 years ago. Liz Sacagawea only went from, like, St. Louis, Missouri to out here and back. Missouris. 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 Oh, my good. Missouris. Missouris. Miss. M. Just M. I love it. Just M. M. Oh, my goodness. M. Uh, some things never change. No. Some things are always funny to me. <laughs> yeah, this is this is just it's uh, there's a strong feeling of another shoe gonna be dropping. I just this is too much effort for any of the explanations that exist. It's this is just too much to ask. It's too out of sight. It has I mean the the thing with a successful prank or stunt yeah. or marketing uh, moment or whatever you want to do is people have to be able to see it. And this this activity is 99.9% two women walking on train tracks by themselves. <laughs> it's stand by me, but even more yeah. boring. Yeah, with no flashbacks and storytelling <laughs> happening. And no exciting trestle adventure. It's just, it's, it's, it's nothing. This is really... It's not even the incredible journey. Like, they're not even animals. Yeah. They're just kind of... It's just journey. Toot, toot, tootin along. It's just, it's just journey. journey. It's the unnecessary <laughs> journey. <laughs> well, Liz, Helga does not agree with you and did not agree with you because on May 5th, 1896, she and Clara give a report to reporters at the Spokane Chronicle newspaper office have their $10 cash, have a pistol, have their little bindles <laughs> all right. with scant supplies, and they say, all right, we are off. We are going on our journey. Goodbye. And that first day, they walk 28 miles. Shit. That's more than a marathon. They walk it back west to Micah Creek to go say what? goodbye to their family. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's a hell of a pregame. Maybe the family could come to Spokane, see the falls, get a sandwich. I don't know. Maybe you could have said goodbye to the family on May 4th and then walked into Spokane. Or, I don't know, mm -hmm. taken the wagon. Ole could have driven you. Yeah. He can't lift yeah, heavy stuff, but I bet he can still drive a mule. It's not off to a great start, though. It's not off to a great start. Would you walk 3,500 miles with me? Yeah. Would you? I don't know. Sure. This is your thing where you just say yes because it's because you say yes to adventure and it's probably a hypothetical anyway, huh? Well, here's the thing that I believe in life and I feel everyone should, which is you can always say no later. <laughs> that 
<laughs> Dangerous. No, but you're, and that sounds very facile. Yeah. But here's the thing: is sometimes you say yes to something without all the information you need. Yeah. And then people will try to slip that information in under the radar and make your yes from earlier count. And you're like, no. I said, you said we should hang out Saturday. And I said, yeah. I didn't say I'm going to go to the demolition derby with you and I'll pay. (laughs) That yes isn't for your thing. The yes was to the general premise. And I feel like the asterisk and the terms and conditions were implied. Okay, so yes, you'll walk 3,500 miles with me, but the asterisk is that it's spread out over the course of one mile increments for the rest of our friendship and you get to stop anytime you want to. Yeah, I mean, the asterisk is always I get to do what I want. But oh my also, gosh, that's just like, fucking living with you forever. There's just so... Yeah. But there, <laughs> why would I not? There, but here, here's the thing, too, is that I tend to encourage ideas where I'm like, sure, that sounds very cool. I mean... What what were the stakes in that moment? Like, I legit think you might make me drink that toe whiskey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not worried that you're going to mail me an, an itinerary yeah. and some anti-chafing gel <laughs> and a power bar yeah. Yeah. based on me going, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because you know that I really like to plan stuff more than I like to follow through with it. And also, I wouldn't buy you anti-chafing gel. I'd tell you to use deodorant like any thrifty person would. But I am going to make you drink that toe whiskey one day. I know. If, I know if nothing are. else, I'm going to do it. But I really want you to have that experience with me. Or rather, I want to have that experience with you. I want you to join me in my misery. Yeah. I would be fine walking 3,500 miles with you. I would not... I might get sick of you, but I wouldn't regret it. I don't think I'd get yeah, sick I of mean, you. Yeah, I mean, you... you- but you ask a, a question which is like in the abstract, have I ever been interested in hiking the Pacific Coast Trail or yeah. walking the Appalachian Trail through hiking and the concept right. of living in your own body and your own headspace and having that much time to think or space out has always had an appeal to me. Sure. Uh, I know that in reality I do not enjoy that kind of thing. Right. I hate sleeping on the ground. I would definitely like get a bug bite or get a blister or like Mm -hmm. anything like that would derail me and it would I don't think I have it in me but I wish I did I guess. I wish I enjoyed it. Wish you yeah. And I want to push myself to see if maybe I can. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, what time in my life is going to permit months and months of that to happen? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like when we did the Wonder Woman triathlon, that was me mm-hmm. really pushing my body. And my part was only the, the swim. You know, I didn't do the whole thing. I did the swim. And that was scary enough and, and stressful enough and pushing enough for me to go, okay, well, I, I like knowing that I'm capable of doing big things and scary things and strong things. But my goodness... That was enough excitement for that decade. Thanks. (laughs) Clara and Helga spend the next 10 days walking through rains and sleet as they plow their little bodies east along the railroad. And that's what they've decided they're going to do the whole time. In order to not get lost, they're going to follow the railroad. Yeah, that's what I would do. I hadn't even considered that until I read it. And I'm like, hey, great job, ladies. That's brilliant. 
Oh, man. I mean, I also know myself. And I know the first time I'm like, oh, I can see where I'm going. It's just on the other side of this field. I'll just cut across. <laughs> I'm not making it. Liz, that happens to them. That happens to them. Oh, no. They get through lacrosse. They get through Walla Walla. They are on the way down from Devil's Pinch Mountain, and they get harassed by a man for several days. He follows them a good long oh, while. You got a pistol, ladies. Well, and nobody's watching. Helga shoots him in the leg. She finally shoots yeah! him. Helga! Helga! Come up. Get his ass, get Helga! Him. You get, get his him. ass! Get that bird, Helga! And they get to LaGrande, Oregon, and they give a... a report to the reporters and she tells them she was quote pleased to announce that we were not arrested for this all right they make it to boise they get the governor's signature but after boise that's where they do your i can see my way across that prairie (laughs) they attempt a shortcut and they get lost for days in the snake river lava beds Oh, no, God. I'd never heard of those. Nobody knows where they are, either. No, no, God, no. Nobody knows where they are. I mean, unless they've been written about in a newspaper or they happen to mail a letter back home from that town, which they frequently did mail their letters mm-hmm. back home to talk to Ole and to the other kids about the, the journey. No one knows. So, according to Helga, when she talks to reporters after they get out of this, they're lost for three days with no food, no water, Pretty sure they're going to die. And yeah. it's the third night when off in the distance they can see a light from a Union Pacific train's headlamp. <sighs> Thank God they're able to make their way out of the lava beds back to the train tracks. By July 8th, remember they started on May 5th, by okay. July 8th, Eighth at 8 p.m., they walk into Salt Lake City, Utah. They got a lot to go. They got a lot to I'm, go. This is like reverse Oregon Trail, yep. basically. And I'm just Truly. I'm looking at... Thinking about the Donner Party. I'm thinking yep. about the Oregon Trail. I'm thinking about Lewis and Clark. Yep. I'm thinking about stuff. Yep. Thinking about a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that can go wrong. And this is the first time that Helga really will talk about that. They have been incredibly positive and almost blasé about, you know, any hardships that they've faced or think they'll face. They're very cavalier up until this point. And this is where Helga tells the reporters, thus far, we have had a pretty hard time. And I can assure you that when this trip is over, I will never undertake such a trip again. What are they at proportionately if they're in Salt Lake out of the 3,500 miles? Oh, I'd say they're 1,000 miles. Maybe. Oh, boy. Not quite. She's over it. She's over it. And it's Clara who is over it the whole time, apparently. In these reports that we get in the newspapers, Clara is always the one who's the whiny teenager. Like, are we there yet? No, for serious, are we there yet? Do you know, and I realize that this is very intermittent, is it clear that Clara has to be along? Like, is this a Helga offer and, and Clara is helping, or do they both have to make it? My memory from the book is that they they both have to make it, that Helga, the offer was extended to Helga and her daughter Clara to walk this journey. God, this is so weird. That's my understanding from the book. It's been a couple weeks since I read it, and I didn't write that sure. down in my notes. Um, but Salt Lake City, dude, is where they get to put on their cycling costumes. 
All right. Well, that's a fun thing. That's a fun thing. They get some really cool photos taken of them because one of the things they do along the way to make money, I mean, Helga tells reporters that they will do basically anything but chop wood to make money. Mm -hmm. Like they will clean people's houses and they will do people's darning and they will do people's washing and they will give lectures. And you can do this back then, you know, how cabinet of curiosity cards were a big Mm -hmm. thing. They were selling nice cardstock postcards and photographs of themselves. Oh, just like Willy Wiley. Just like Willy Wiley. Only they're in these very fetching cycling costumes, I must say. They (sighs) truck on. The having to pay their own way part of this also really muddies the waters on what the benefactor slash sponsor is trying to convey here. Because... I might be thinking about it in too much of an experimental way, but I'm like, if they fail because they become malnourished because there's an economic crisis, that doesn't tell you anything about whether women can do this or not. Absolutely, it doesn't. Is the question whether they can walk it physically? Is the question whether people can go from place to place Like, at a certain rate of speed? I don't even know what the research question is. What's our hypothesis here? (laughs) What's the hypothesis? What are you trying to prove or disprove? And I think that's, you make a really interesting point, and Hunt talks about that a little bit in her book, where she's saying that competitive walking is actually a thing in America right now at this time period. And it's, it's like endurance walking among women is kind of this like carnival sideshow thing where there's one woman, I forget her name, but she's a well-known athlete in the competitive walking circuit where she's done like a hundred miles without stopping on a track. And okay, I was gonna say again, where is the spectator aspect? Of yeah, this? yeah, and this is this is very easy to spectate because it's in a very mm-hmm. confined space. But then you've got people decrying it, saying, "No, you're maltreating these women, these athletes. You know, you're like you're basically whipping behind their heels to get them to keep walking. You know, to prove that women can be endurance athletes, but." It's inhumane we conditions can for anyone. women for entertainment <laughs> just as well as men. Just as well as men. Just as well. I mean, this well. was the same era when they would do the same thing with bicycles with mm-hmm. men and be like, hey, indoor at Madison Square Garden, you're going to run, you're going to ride in a really tight circle yes. for four days straight. Oh. And everybody in the audience is smoking like dragons the entire yes. time. So as you're down in the pit, just yes. flowing through it like... Like you're making a dramatic entrance to a metal show <laughs> and trying to like suck in air, sleep on your handlebars. I God, just hoping the momentum takes you around the turn so that you don't have yeah. to pedal for a month. Do you know how nauseated I would get? Do you? Oh my God. I would turn left for the rest of my life. There is no Seriously? way I would ever be straight again. I would ever walk straight again. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. Fuck off. Just, just. I thought Disney just called you and told you that you were their first gay character. <laughs> it can happen to anyone at any time. It can happen time. to anyone at any time. It's late summer, early fall, and we have made it to Iowa. Iowa. Oh, boy, Iowa. Thank goodness. Well, this is their first encounter with the Mississippi River, which, as you and I both know, is the worst river. 
That's f- but they made it to the Mississippi. And by this time in their journey, Clara had fallen ill a couple of times. But fortunately, one of the things in the contract was if you're ill and you can't physically walk that day because you're ill, we won't count those days towards your seven months. We'll just tack it onto the the back end so you can have those days to walk again. Okay. And prorate them. We'll prorate them, right? So we are now across the Mississippi and towns are no longer there there are going to be no more days of Clara and Helga seeing no one of them sleeping in like train depots or in barns in the middle of nowhere we are now towns all the time okay they make it to Chicago in early November 1896 and at this point they started in may and it's november and it's november and they're in chicago, they're in chicago. i'm stressing that one i know stressing. they've gone two thousand miles they've got a thousand to go and they have to make up those thousand miles by december 17th oh my god it's not it's, it's less than a thousand but you know what i'm saying it's it's roughly a third it's, a it's still a it's nothing to do with what punk. their pace has been no and they're walking and it's at the end that's not how splits work no. like that's how they catch marathon cheaters <laughs> is that you don't do your last leg of the marathon faster than your first one no nope. no nope, you don't you really shouldn't We've, we're ravaging 25 to 28 miles a day. Like, these girls are cooking with gas. That's like as far as a horse can go in a day. The weather is holding, but outside of Chicago, they get into another scrape with some men. This time, it's several vagrants follow the women and they try to assault them. And Clara pulls out her pepper gun and sprays them in the face with it. And I had to, wow. I had to look up what a pepper gun was. And it's, it's an insect repellent spray. And so, like, I just see Clara, like, you know, pulling over her shoulder like Terminator. And instead of an Uzi, it's this, like, antique-looking sprayer that Lurch uses to, like, spray Morticia's indoor roses in the Adams Family yeah, movie. Yeah, like, this is, like, the thing that the Tim Woodman is abruptly holding after that jitterbug yes, number that got cut. Thank you! And then the Scarecrow just fucking has a gun. Has a gun! Yes! <laughs> yes! But it works. They they shot these dudes in the face with cayenne pepper, and the dudes left them alone. Wow. Yep. Okay. In Pennsylvania... They find themselves harassed by men so frequently that they have their gun out at all times. Their actual handgun ready to draw on men because they are being so harassed and physically intimidated. But finally, Liz, finally, December 23rd, seven months, 18 days or so after they've left Spokane, Helga and Clara reach the World Newspaper office in New York City. And the report goes out on the wire. The only two women who ever walked across the continent have made it. They are in New York for the day, waiting to hear back from their sponsor, waiting to see. Now they're a couple, they're they're 17 days over the seven-month mark. And that's not counting the sick days. So they made the walk in seven Mm. months, 17 days. And Helga and Clara are like, it's fine. The sponsor will understand. We're going to sit here and wait for confirmation. It's so weird that the sponsor's not there waiting. Again, like... Who's getting anything out of this? Who's getting... Yeah, there's there's like no big... Whomst. Whomst for whomst. 
Sears and Roebuck is not there to take pictures, you know, to display their new walk-in clothes. But so it's December. Okay, I was going to say Sears and Roebuck is coming out what now? Yeah, yeah. Sure. The next day, December 24th, the women are in New York City and they come back to the the newspaper office and they say, uh, well, heck, we've lost our pocketbooks, which had the last of our money in it that we'd been, you know, saving as we were making. And not only that, it had the entire manuscript of notes of our journey. Like, we uh, can't find it. It's got our name and our address on it. So if someone in New York finds it, hopefully they'll return it to us. But good God, though. But we don't have any money and we don't have our notes. And the newspaper office is like, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker strolling up to Harvey Dent in the hospital and goes, Hi. <laughs> so the um, benefactors said they're not going to pay you. Yeah, you're not you're not getting any money. And they. You asked how you were going to get home. They're not going to pay your train ticket home either. So. Wow. That was conditional too? Apparently. Apparently. Clara and Helga have to stay in New York now. They don't have enough money to get home. They sure as shit can't walk 3,000 miles back home. And while they're. I mean, of anybody. I it suppose. Kind of seems like they can, I suppose they but could. But they're kind of run down. A little bit wore out. They work that winter, they work the following spring trying to save up money so that they can get train tickets back home. They're writing to Ole, and Ole is saying things are just as dire as ever. And in April, they get the devastating letter from Ole that 15-year-old daughter Bertha has come down with and subsequently died of diphtheria. Okay. So hearing of her of her daughter's death via mail, Helga goes, okay, I can't mess around anymore. She goes to the Charities Commission in Brooklyn and says, look, I've never asked for a thing in my whole life. I'm begging you, send me and my daughter home. Get the city of Brooklyn to pay for our train ticket to get us back to Micah Creek, Washington, so that I can take care of my remaining children. And Brooklyn says, no. I mean, this is so much less than the money that they should have gotten, so right? Like, much less. What does a train it, ticket I, cost I'm back so then? Ten dollars? Seriously, like it can't have cost a hundred. So that these so many people are so invested in their journey. Yeah. It sounds like, and then when they don't get the money, everyone's like, "Well, all right, fuck yeah, off." Yeah, exactly. They're like, "Cool, on to the next big thing," I guess. Yeah, what you did isn't cool because you took 17 days too yeah. long. Yeah. Like, no one can even send them home. No one cares. No. Nope. That could be a good publicity stunt. You would think you know, so. Whatever railroad wants to do it to say, like, no, we'll we'll take them home. Like, just, that's, just let the poor things go home. Good God. That's who comes what through. What is everybody's beef oh my with God. these two? Because, because they dared... To wear those short dresses, I guess, I don't know. But that, that is who comes through for them, is a, a railroad titan says, okay, well, I own a stretch of train track from New York to Chicago. You can ride on that for free. I'll get you as far as Chicago. Mm-hmm. They take it to Chicago. They manage to get to Minnesota f- um, from Chicago. And they do 
finally, arduously, in a few more weeks, make it back to Spokane, where immediately upon their return, they are told that eight-year-old Johnny has also died of diphtheria. Fuck's sake. This is a terrible homecoming, dude. And this journey and then these two deaths absolutely rupture the family. All, and particularly the youngest children, resent Helga for the rest of their lives. They are... For being gone? For being gone. Yep. They're, wow. The community, the Norwegian community, shuns her. And they say, how dare you? Oh, you, you know, a mother would never have left their kids. It's always hanging over Helga... If she had stayed at home, could she have nursed the kids back? Could she have been a better caretaker mm-hmm. than Ole? Um, and she didn't have the money. So, of course, it feels like it's all for nothing. Because in 1901, the house is foreclosed upon. The land is foreclosed upon. It's put up at a sheriff's auction. And the family has to vacate. Mm-hmm. This does turn around for them, though. Because that forces them to move back to Spokane. And you know what? The economy is better, and maybe Ole can't do heavy lifting, but he's still a brilliant carpenter. He gets a lot of jobs as a carpenter and is able to build them their own two-story home on Mallon Street. And he furnishes it with beds that he makes and tables that he's carved. And he continues to work until the day he dies in 1913 when he is working on someone's roof and he falls off the roof and dies. Oh my god. Which is okay. Abrupt, but Helga continues and she attends city council meetings and she marches with the suffragettes and she teaches herself to paint and she goes, "All right, you know what? I'll write my memoirs again." Oh my god. In the 1910s, so that whole like 10-year stretch of teens, she writes hundreds of pages of a memoir. Upon her death in 1942, her two youngest daughters scoop up all the papers and all the newspaper clippings they can find, light a fire in the backyard, and burn it. They always had blamed their mother for the deaths of the other two kids, for being gone, for the hard years that they had. And they wanted nothing more to do with this. They wanted that story gone. But one of her daughter-in-laws, Margaret, while this was happening, found two newspaper clippings in a scrapbook that Helga had saved. And she said, I'm going to keep these. Her husband was one of the young children who wanted nothing to do with Helga's journey and memory. And so she had to hide these newspaper clippings until he died 20 years later. At which point she was wow. finally able to give the newspaper clippings to Helga's granddaughter, Thelma. So we've got Helga, the son's generation, and then granddaughter, Thelma. Thelma was like, this is cool. This is awesome. I'm going to learn about this. So Thelma researches it, and it becomes a family story now. It becomes family history. And Thelma tells it to her daughter, and then she tells the story to her grandson, Doug. When Doug is in eighth grade in, like, the 1980s, 90s, he writes a paper for class about grandma, great-grandma, who walked 3,500 miles And his teacher goes, no, she didn't. And his teacher goes, holy shit, I'm a historian. I want to know more about this. And that's how the research came about. And Linda Lawrence Hunt 
wrote this book, Bold Spirit. Amazing. So the only reason we know about Helga to this day is those two little newspaper clippings that Margaret saved from the the burn barrel. And then Doug, um, who's apparently now a firefighter and EMT in Spokane. So go Doug. Um, All right. But that is why we now know the story of Helga and Clara, the first two women to walk across the United States. I still have so many questions. But <laughs> one, one, though, is do we know how Ole felt about the journey before she took it? So we know how he felt after they took it. But was he like, okay, if you gotta? Or was he like, I forbid it and she went anyway? Or was he like... Yeah, I think this is what we need to save our finances and then turn. It sounds like the book doesn't address it. It talks about how he probably had the values he was brought up with, which would have been to frown upon this action. And in the book, it specifically calls out Ol's best friend as being super agganet. He hmm. did not like this idea. There is a lot of talk of all likely feeling very, not just emasculated, but super ineffectual as as a protector and a provider. And so probably didn't like the prospect, but I mean, if it's the only way you can save your farm, how do you say no to that? Um, I don't think we know. It, some of the letters between Helga and Ol and Helga and the kids survived, it sounds like, from the book Bold Spirit. But there was nothing in the book to suggest exactly how Ol feels or felt. Yeah, and it's not the kind of thing that he's not going to give a confessional to the reality show camera in, in a talking head or something. Right. Like I'm so curious about I'm, I'm so frustrated because the biggest question that I have or would have had throughout the biggest question that I have is of course who set this and to what purpose and there's just no yeah. way to get that answer without speculating and it's really frustrating because like you've said I think earlier like it's so hackneyed without knowing that and it's it's probably not satisfying even knowing that it's still like a really you were gonna spend ten thousand dollars on advertising in this day and age just put it in the newspaper get yeah get the hottest woman of the day to wear the costume there's your advertising you know there's right or 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 pay a woman to like do one of those competitive walking competitions Mm -hmm. in it or Mm -hmm. something where a bunch of people can see it right this is again like it's just one of those things like an ultra marathon where it's like you cannot monetize this no it is it is so resistant to spectacle right Right. And so are the characters involved. Right. Yeah, like, no, get some Hollywood starlet and tell her she'll she'll wear it and stand on the Hollywood sign. There you go. You're, You're done. done. You've done it. Yep, get one of those ladies who she'll do the trapeze. Do it for ten bucks and a hot lunch. <laughs> what I wouldn't do for ten bucks and a hot lunch, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so much effort. It's so specific. Yeah. It is, it is such a mystery. Yeah. And I don't why would you not even come down yourself? If you wanted this, you you chose, you hand chose this person yeah. to do this incredibly strange activity. And when they're coming into town, you don't even meet them with anyone. Yeah. 
and then eventually send somebody to say, we're not coming. Right. Oh, here's the theory I just what? came up with. What's this for? I just came up okay. with this theory, is that it was it was a ruse all along. Helga sent the letter and the offer and was hoping that with the publicity that she garnered, someone would step in at the end when she didn't get the money from this person and give her something. There you go. Okay, I like it. So basically, she came up with a stunt she thought she could do. Yeah. And when she first floated the idea, because she's a badass. Yeah, yeah. As we know. As we know. A little bit out yeah. there. And the first time she floated the idea to somebody, she picked up the vibe that it didn't seem like a good idea, so she made up a reward. Yeah, there you go. And then decided that maybe she just wanted to get out of the house for a while. Maybe, she's, maybe she wanted to see if she could do right? it. Right? Maybe she was tired of nothing but making babies. Yeah, but then again, like, where does Clara come but in? Where does Clara... Well, you know, because Clara was her favorite. Clara was the oldest. Clara was cool. Clara was the child out of wedlock. You gotta make her feel special. I don't know where Claire comes into this, other than just, like, if my mom had to walk across the United States, you know I'd be the first person she was like, and you have to do it with me. Yep, you're coming. <laughs> I feel like you'd want to break it up like a road trip. Like, okay, Clara's going to get you to Salt Lake, and then Ruthie's <laughs> going to take you to Kansas <laughs> yeah, exactly. City. Yeah, exactly. I'll get FaceTime with each of the kids. Yeah. Don't know, man. Okay. Don't know. But I think it's really, don't know. I think it's really cool. It, it is cool. It is the unresolved oh, aspect yeah. of it is really fucking me right. up. I have to. It's admit. not satisfying. But I what she did was really cool, and it's the kind of thing where I'm like, if you imagine a version of this story where there is no mystery sponsor, she just decides she's going to do it, and Clara decides she's going to do yeah. it. And then they do it, and then they have to, and they earn their way along the way, and they have these rules, and they talk to newspaper reporters, and then they get there, and then they turn around and come back. That's impressive. It's still impressive. Yeah. With That's it. still impressive. Yes. It's just the money aspect of it is such a question mark right. that you stop paying attention to the actual mm. impressiveness of the That's feat. That's a good point. You do, don't you? You do. It does it does throw you off. It throws your focus. I would I'm really sad that Helga doesn't have a memoir to share with us because even the little bit we get from newspaper clippings and from letters and then from the kids' own recollections, you know, they moved to Spokane in the 1880s, 1890s, and their washerwoman who comes and does their laundry is a Native American woman. And Helga is terrified of Native American people and therefore makes the children terrified of this Native American woman. They carry that prejudice for a long time. On the trail, Helga and Clara meet a small group of Native American men where they don't speak English or Norwegian and Helga and Clara don't speak their language, but they do this kind of like pantomime thing where the men want to see what the women have in their bags and they're like, oh, okay, a pistol, oh, okay, a money, oh, okay, a bread, like we know what this, what the hell is that thing? And they pull out Clara's curling iron and <laughs> she, put she a brought a curling iron, iron. yep. Uh, well, she was getting her picture taken, Liz. And, uh, you know, they pantomime like, what is this? And Clara shows them how she curls her hair with it and they're just like, oh, okay, cool. And then they go on their way. And that seems to be at this point where Helga is like, oh, we might
might all just be people. And then later in... You noticed, <laughs> you Helga. noticed Helga. Later in her journey, mm. they walk part of the way with a Native American man. And they speak very highly of him to reporters. You know, about they, they traded trinkets amongst each other and talked. And so she is learning and growing and um, seeing different populations in a way that I don't know many first-person stories of, but I, I would like to know them. I, I would love to hear about her transformation from mm-hmm. a person with prejudice to a person with slightly fewer prejudices. And in general, just what is the world no, like totally. yeah. on, at, at foot level yeah. in this time? You know, how long do you go without seeing people? And when you come to town, how many people actually know who you are and what you're mm-hmm. doing? And all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. All the stuff. All the all the stuff that you see in Wild and in A Walk in the Woods. Right. And all that kind of thing. I mean, it, she reminds me actually of Isabella Bird. Remember her oh, from A Lady's from a Life lady's in the Rocky life. Mountains? Yes, she does. Mm-hmm. With her, what is it? Her, her beloved, beloved bandit ba- or Yeah, whoever. daring ba- beloved bandit, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where you're like, even if you're not a great writer, I'm interested in the details of what you experienced. And it's really frustrating oh, yeah. that that got lost twice. twice. Although, once we start to speculate yeah. that anything Helga said wasn't true, you do start to go, hmm. 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 I would believe that they walked the whole way. I, I from the newspaper, you oh, know, yeah. so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to live in that. But yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I would be so interested in reading that memoir. Yeah, it'd be very very interesting. Yeah. And again, even if she, like, got a ride for 10% of it, it's still interesting right. and impressive. Right. But it's just, I mean, I understand what happened to the second manuscript, that they lost it. I mean, shit happens, I guess, but good God. But seriously, what rotten luck. Seriously, I mean, was, how do you... was she walking to New York to get a book deal? <laughs> was that no. what the approach was? No, she did say that she was going to get... Uh, that was something that appears to have come about from her own idea. Uh, she was going to keep a record so that they could write a memoir when they were done and then sell that to try to make even more money. Mm-hmm. It's just so odd that she goes from being able to kind of support herself as a celebrity here and then it, it falls yeah. apart. Like, again, she's still dead. Yeah. Like, Ezra Meeker can do it. Yeah. Lily can do yeah. it. I don't understand what Helga's issue right. is. Like, I don't know what people have against her. What people have against her, or it's just that that's the thing. It's done, you know? Her fad is, yeah. she did the thing. She accomplished it. Let's move on to the next person doing a thing. I Yeah, flash in the pan, I yeah. guess. Everyone in 1892 will be famous for 15 mm-hmm. minutes. I haven't hmm. figured out what okay. I'm going to be famous for yet, but it'll be something. I'll get my 15 minutes for something cool. Yeah, mine's going to be, I thought I wasn't on speaker, but I was. <laughs> I just that that came to me in a dream. <laughs> what a marvelous thing to be famous for there, Mr. Nixon. You're just totally going to get recorded <laughs> for the wrong thing. Yep. Folks, we'd love to talk to you more, of course. So we want you to come find us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. If you'd like to throw a couple dollars our way, we don't have cool photos of us in bicycling costumes, but we can definitely provide you with all kinds of other entertaining things on Patreon for your donation of as little as 
as a dollar. We have mm-hmm. the website, WeJabroads.com. You can get all of our show notes as well as our guides and um, and special collections on that website. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Podbean and iTunes are two of those in particular. Mm-hmm. Am I missing something, my dove? No, I think you did it all just right. I guess since this is the first episode that we've taped mm-hmm. in this intriguing time period, yeah. I just want to say, like, we have talked about it on social media, but, you know, I do work in healthcare. Yeah. We both live in Washington. It is often what is hitting is hitting a little bit earlier here. Yeah. So... We really appreciate people bearing with us, and we, I think, I I certainly really like to get to connect with folks. I like to get to talk to you. I like to get to tell stories. Uh, I have no interest in letting this lapse, but there, it is harder to keep a strict schedule and to have everything run as smoothly and as routinely as it would, because smooth and routine are kind of out the window. So, all that to say, like, thank you for tuning in and listening to us. And I, I'm thinking uh, about you. Yeah. And I hope everybody's doing as well as can be expected. Yeah. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe and healthy. Yeah. And thank you very much for your patience while pretty much everybody's life right now. Uh, okay, let's call <laughs> it. I don't even day. want to do our outro. It's too. It's too on the nose for this time. Um, but I guess we probably still should, right? Is it is it yeah, is it inappropriate to say die weird right now, dude? No, because okay. people always die. Okay, that's fair. Thank you. Okay, it's the only game in town. Thank you. It's the only game in town, folks. The only thing we have left to say then is live weird, die weird, and stay weird, friends. Thanks Thank for you for listening. listening.